page 935, page 935, and also we'll look at Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4 and page 935. We're starting a new chapter, chapter 26 of the Communion of Saints, but first uh, we should always make it our priority to put Scripture first. That's uh, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 7. This is God's holy and infallible word. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so he, that he might fulfill or fill all things. And he gave some to be apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fit and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And then chapter 26, we'll be reading together sections 1 and 2. This is chapter 26 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, entitled, Of the Communion of Saints. All saints that are united to Jesus Christ their head, by his Spirit and by faith, have fellowship with him in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. And being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as do conduce to their mutual good, both in the inward and outward man. Saints by profession are bound to maintain in holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God and in performing such other spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification, as also in revealing, uh, in, I'm sorry, in relieving each other in outward things according to their several abilities and necessities, which communion, as God offereth opportunity, is to be extended unto all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Let's pray. We do ask our beloved Lord that you would help us to understand what is it, what it means to be in communion and union with you and in union to one another as part of a body. Lord, help us to learn how we are uh, to serve one another, to love one another, to love and serve you, O Father. And help us in these things, for we ask it all in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Um, Maybe you've heard me say this before, but it bears repeating. One of the best reasons for a confessional preaching is that it prevents a pastor from riding a hobby horse. What's a hobby horse? A hobby horse is when a pastor loves a particular doctrine or maybe a particular teaching, or maybe he really is vehemently opposed to a particular sin, and it comes, a, it comes across on very much almost every sermon. And um, my firm belief is that we should try to preach and teach those doctrines as they come up in Scripture, but not to ride a, what we call a hobby horse of sorts. Now, that's another good reason why we also preach and teach through entire books of the Bible in our church. If we teach through an entire book, we let the Scripture guide us what doctrines, what passages of Scripture we are to teach on, not what, what's one's fancy. Um, I heard of a church in, uh, that somebody I know is going to down in South Louisiana, and uh, let's just say it's of the Reformed Baptist persuasion, and almost every sermon is on election. They love the doctrine of election. But I think if it was every sermon that we kept, that, that it's really um, being pushed or pressured upon people, you're not really getting to teach this whole scope of what Scripture has to say. Essential doctrine, yes, but we've got to do things in balance. So confessional teaching and preaching also helps in another area. It causes a minister and even a congregation to maybe move beyond their comfort zones. Um, you might not really prefer to teach on a particular topic or a particular doctrine. Oh, but there, here it is. It comes up in the, in the next cycle or in the next chapter. And maybe you don't feel comfortable in explaining it. Well, this is a particular section I find to be moving beyond the milk of the word and moving into some really firm meat. Um, meat requires a lot more chewing and a lot more time for digestion, and that's what we find especially, I would say, at the beginning of this particular um, chapter. Section 1, you'll see what I mean in this. All saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by His Spirit and by faith, have fellowship with Him in His graces, sufferings, death, resurrection and glory now i'm going to cite some things from gi williamson on his study book uh, I, I footnoted it if you want to look up the page number but it actually is page 255 if you don't have uh, these notes so gi williamson says that the union that we have with christ through faith now this is all through faith has three you could say it's three Ways of having a spiritual union as described by Scripture. Um, the first one is something that you've heard a lot here from this pulpit, 
what we describe as being a representative union. Um, just as there was representation through Adam, um, you, this passage I listed there is uh, Romans 5.19. For as through one man's obedience many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of one the many will be made righteous. So there's representation in both aspects of both Adam, the first Adam, and the second Adam. The first Adam had his disobedience imputed, his, the guilt of his sin is imputed, reckoned, considered as ours. As our representative, we sinned in Adam. He represented us. So that you could say we have this representative union with Adam if you're in the covenant of works. And I hope that you're not in the covenant of works. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're no longer in that covenant of works, but you're in the covenant of grace through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the second Adam, had his righteousness imputed, accounted, or reckoned, you could say it's represented as our own. It's not ours actually, but it's accounted or reckoned or considered ours according to Scripture. You could say these are both representative and not actual. So that's the first type of union here. The second that G.I. Williamson talks about is a vital union. And there's two passages as for us to look at there. Let's look at it. What is a vital union with Christ? Um, the first passage there is John 15. I know this is heavy on the Scripture, but I, I really, if I try to explain this without looking at Scripture, we're in trouble. Jesus says in, in John 15, I am the vine, And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. If you ever wonder why sanctification is painful sometimes, that's why. You're being pruned. You're being cut on to produce more fruit. You are already clean because you have the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine so neither can you unless you abide in me i am the vine you are the branches he who abides in me and i in him he bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing if anyone does not abide in me he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father who uh, is glorified by this that you bear much fruit. So prove to be my disciples just as the Father has loved me. I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We'll stop there. So they, they consider this a vital union. You're actually truly united to Christ, according to this passage. Um, another one, maybe that might make a little bit more sense, that is a, maybe I would, I would say a little bit more forceful, 
in talking about this vital union is Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4. Now, you're familiar with this um, regarding a, an assurance of pardon. Um, Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with, with, with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now here's the part of, that really focuses on a, on a vital union. And God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, how is it possible that we are raised up with Christ? How is it possible that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places? I don't know, doesn't, does it feel like you're, you're raised with Christ, that you're seated with Christ in the heavenly places? But one of the explanations that G.I. Williamson would say is that we have this vital union with Christ. Now, if you want to have your mind, you know, go boom, wow. You know, you could read some of this section from some of G.I. Williamson stuff, but it's, it's a little bit difficult to understand. But I'm, I'm going to summarize it with only one sentence. I'm going to spare you. A lot of the the more difficult stuff but G.I. Williamson wrote this Christ and his believing people have one life and share together suffering death resurrection and glory it's like we have one life together he says now how do you make sense of that how do you wrap your mind around that I, I would say that what, what's being taught in Holy Scriptures, he's, he's dividing it up and trying to explain it in these different aspects of union. Now, the last one, this last type of union that he has to describe for us is a spiritual union. And for that, we're going to stay in Ephesians. We're going to go to Ephesians three fourteen. It says uh, in Ephesians three fourteen. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Actually, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that's, that's right, 314. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now, where is Christ in bodily form? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Where is Christ spiritually? Well, as uh, God is a, you could say, um, just as God the Father is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, 
God being omnipresent, Christ, you could say, in a spiritual sense, is omnipresent as well. You ever thought about that? And one of the professors in seminary mentioned that being, having the attribute of God, he's in one location in a bodily form, but Christ in his spirit is omnipresent. But one place he is especially is in the heart of the believer. Now, uh, another thing that we find in Scripture when it talks about the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Christ, that is another synonym for the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit dwells in us, that's another way Scripture uses to say that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. So again, uh, Ephesians three fourteen through 19, this is, you could describe as a spiritual union. Now, is there overlap in these? I would say yes. Now, when we go to glory, God might tell us, I, I'm not, I wasn't crazy about those distinctions. <laughs> he might say, well, these were all spiritual. I, I didn't like the word vital. Anyway, but there's some overlap here. I'm sure there's some things that we're looking at that we could say, well, does it fit in the vital union category? Does it fit in the spiritual union category? Well, anyway... These divisions help us to kind of get a grasp some of what Scripture is saying about what does it mean to be united to Christ. We're united to Christ by faith, and that definitely in this representative form is very clear according to Scripture. But again, the vital union and the spiritual union, there's some overlap. Now, section 1 goes on to say in our confession, because of this united nature we have with Christ is because we united to Christ by faith section 1 says being united to one another in love talking about the communion we have for another being united to love one another in love they that is Christians by faith have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to the performance of such duties public and private as do conduce their mutual good both in the inward and outward man. So according to that confession, we're concerned about a mutual good, not just for one's spiritual nature. We're concerned about a a mutual good for the outward nature, for one's body, right? The inward and the outward man. And the passage that we studied earlier, uh, that we read at, at the first, Ephesians 4, 7, uh, is the one that talks about this union of the body um, intertwined and connected together. Uh, let's actually do Ephesians 4, starting at verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. In other words, it's the picture of the church is a body, a human body with a head. The head is Christ. And that every joint, and part of the body is, is knitted together and gets nutrients from the rest of the body. And uh, that's how 
It causes the whole body to build up itself in love. Um, those united to Christ, this is using another, uh, there's one other place in, place in Scripture where Paul uses this illustration. And I have uh, one verse there. Um, if we're united together in one body, according to 1 Corinthians 12, you don't have one particular part of the body that says, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much uh, truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. Uh, the classic illustration is if you hurt your little, you, you smash or fracture one of your, your toes. Um, I, I, I kicked a bucket once. I didn't die. I, kicked, I literally kicked a bucket and fractured a toe. And uh, you could see it in my walk. Not, the, not only did it affect my, my, how I walked, but even my arms. Oh, your whole body is limping along. And then what, you even see it on a person's face from a fractured toe. It's one little, one little toe, but the whole body is affected. The face, your, your entire walking, even your arms are flailing around when you're trying to walk. And it kind of reminds me of this uh, other passage in Romans 12. Weep with those who weep. When that one little toe is, is weeping, the rest of the body is weeping as well, isn't it? And the same thing goes in our body of believers. When one of the least of the church is in sorrow or weeping, we weep together with them because we're part of one united body. Now, if someone's interested, um, there is, uh, I have two books. One of the deacons in the, in the presbytery gave me two books concerning disabilities in the church. And funny uh, that this happened around the same time. The Reformed Deacon um, is a Reformed Deacon is a podcast that is put on by the OPC, and they they recently sent me this one, and I, I listened to the the whole thing regarding disabilities in the church. And one of the churches that is real making some movement toward this direction is actually um, Rockport, the church in Rockport, Maine, Lakeview Presbyterian Church. And you've had the pastor preach here, uh, Pastor Stephen Tracy. And he is uh, real, him and his, uh, the church there, uh, the church there is real big into the, helping those with disabilities because one of the elders, ruling elders, has a severely disabled son who will never do any of his own caregiving, but is, you could say he's totally severely dependent. But the church ministers to that boy in that church so it's a, it's a good listen. Um, now, some may think it's, maybe it's too much trouble to have somebody come and visit the church in a wheelchair because it's kind of hard, isn't it? it might be, it's hard to get them in the building. It's hard to let them do things. But a person who can get up out of a wheelchair and go to the bathroom and do their business and then get back into the wheelchair and roll around and get around the church and go wherever they need to go, on the spectrum of disability, such a person like that is only moderately disabled. They're not severely disabled compared to what this, uh, this elder and his family have to deal with there in Maine. Now, if the Lord requires for me to get in, the, in a wheelchair, I desperately still want to come to church. I, I don't want to stay home. 
Now, that should be your heart's desire as well. Now, somebody might say, well, I don't want to be a burden on others. Well, some of that's pride. You know, it takes humility for to have someone help you, doesn't it? When you, when you really need somebody to do something very personal for you. But, you know, don't worry. I, I, my hope is if I ever need a wheelchair, I'm hoping Isaiah lives close enough where he'll continue to worship at church. And he, y'all don't have to help me in and out the building. I'll, I'll have Isaiah help with that, Lord willing. You know, one of, what's in my blood is working with disabilities. I've been doing it since 1990, in the 1990s in therapy school. Um, I've worked with hundreds, I don't know, maybe a thousand, maybe thousands of people with disabilities, ranging from the most severe, profound disabilities to moderate or mild. And it's, it, I think it's something that we can do to minister to people to help those who have needs. Now, that's who you are hard as your pastor, and that's part of who I am. Um, let's move on to another illustration for this passage. Okay, you have the body, and the body, when there's a part of the body that's hurting, it communicates to the rest of the body so that the body can care for it. But when you have a member of a church that's hurting and doesn't talk to anyone, when there's a problem in a marriage, when there's a problem with major depression, when there's a problem with maybe horrible anxiety and somebody's crying out for help, but they don't want to ask for help, they are like a body with leprosy. Now I'm going to read you a description according to the CDC of what happens in leprosy. It says, the digits, that's fingers or toes, the digits do not fall off due to leprosy. The bacteria that causes leprosy attacks the nerves of the fingers and toes and causes them to become numb. Burns and cuts on numb parts may go unnoticed, which may lead to infection and permanent damage. And it's that infection that causes the loss of a toe or a finger. And it says this happens in the advanced stages of untreated disease. Uh, we had a patient with severe diabetes, and he had severe neuropathy, and he walked around with a tack in his foot for who knows how long. I Actually, I, I met him in the hospital after this happened. He wasn't my patient. but So imagine that. you got a tack in your foot, and you're walking around the house with a tack in your foot for maybe a, two days or something. I don't know. Probably maybe just one or two days, right? I'm sure they wash their feet and change their socks and all. And it's like, oh, it's a tack in my foot. How long has that been there? I have no idea. Well, and then he ends up losing part of his foot, right? Well, well, you got a member in the church, and they don't talk to people, and they don't, they don't cry out for what's hurting them. They're like the foot with loss of innervation. Harm happens. Damage happens. And instead of getting the necessary attention, the dysfunction of the, of the nerves cause that foot to just fall off and die. So that's the important thing I want to carry here is that don't be like a leper's body. If, if someone hurts, they need to seek help. And you know, one resource that is underutilized is you know, asking for maybe even private counseling from your session or your, your pastor. Um, it's tragic when members of the church don't communicate their hurts. What's even more tragic is when people in the church communicate their hurts and there's no one there, not, not one brother or sister to really listen and help 
Section 2 says, Saints by profession are bound to maintain an holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God and in performing such other spiritual services that tend to their mutual edification as also in relieving each other in outward things according to their several abilities and necessities, which communion, as God offered opportunity, is to be extended unto all those who, in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. So, to stress this necessity, there's, we're bound. How, how are we bound? We're bound by a vow for membership. We're vowing when we become a member of the church to support, to faithfully support the church's worship. We're bound by a covenant, by oaths, uh, vows and oaths before God to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God. Uh, Hebrews 10 is the best place that encourages us not to forsake that union together. Hebrews 10, 24 and following, it's listed there in your outline. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. One thing that we need to do as a church is we need to pray. We need to pray earnestly that God would help us to find ways that we can encourage and stimulate one another to love and good deeds. One of the greatest difficulties in a church and one of the biggest problems in a church is people not having their gifts exercised or they're so often underutilized in the church. How do we do it? Well, that's something that we need to prayerfully examine. But just to say... My, uh, my firm belief on this matter is that in the Reformed Church, especially in the OPC, sometimes it's, it's too much emphasis on what the elder, the deacons, and the pastors do. What about the rest of the congregation? They, each person in the church has a role, has a gift, something that they could exercise for the fruitfulness of the church, for the help of others, for filling the needs for helping those in dire situations. It's not only the pastor that can counsel someone who's hurting. If God has given you Holy Scripture as your guide, you can speak a word of encouragement to others. And this especially is the main reason why we shouldn't miss out on worship. Because we're here not just to worship God, but we're here to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, to build each other up, in the holy faith that we've been given once delivered to the saints. Let's pray together. We thank you, O Father, for giving us that spiritual union through Christ, that you have united us to your beloved Son by faith. Lord, that you have raised us up, that you have brought us even Lord, to that very sure, steadfast hope of the glories of heaven through him. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, we can be assured that you will raise us from the dead. 
on that last day. Lord, help us, we pray, to never forsake that blessed holy faith that unites us to your Son. And help us, we pray, to find ways that we can grow in our union one with another and having that body knit together in love and nurturing one another and providing for others, for helping others. We pray, O Father, that you would give us your guidance in how we can stir up each other to love and good deeds, that we would not forsake uh, the assembling of ourselves together, but that we would encourage one another all the more as we see that day drawing near when we are called home. And Lord, when, help us, we pray, to always be ready, looking for the return of our blessed Lord Jesus. And we ask, O Father, that you would bless these, your saints, who've answered the call to worship you, Lord, that you would build them up by the means of your holy word and growth of the appreciation and understanding and knowledge of what the spiritual union is and growth and appreciation and love one for another and for building each other up. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, let's turn to 409. We'll stand and sing 409, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. Let's stand and sing 409.